0: Hello and welcome to the 5 Leadership Questions podcast. I'm your host, Dan Eiten here with my co-host, Todd Adkins. Good afternoon. And today we're excited to have back on the podcast, Brian Dodd. Brian is the director of New Ministry Relationships for Enjoy Stewardship Solutions, where he helps churches fully fund their mission and vision. He's also an author of several different books, including Timeless and his latest book, Mighty, Seven Skills You Need to Move from Pandemic to Progress. Uh, Brian, so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for being here.
1: Well, Dan, I mean, it's a pleasure for me. It's a thrill to be back and a great to talk with Todd again and, and you and uh, looking forward to just a great conversation and helping some leaders in your audience uh,
2: hopefully get better and encourage them in, in what they're facing. Well, so here's one of the greatest things I appreciate about Brian is, first of all, If people listen to the podcast for very long, they're going to hear me say how important learning is. And I'll have, you know, quips like, if you're a leader, not a learner, you've got a short shelf life or, you know, as a leader, your number one job is learning in front of people. Well, you've been doing that for decades, man. And so I told Dan in preparation for the podcast, he's like, so, you know, tell me, tell me about Brian. I'm like, this is the curator on leadership stuff ever. He's a creator too. But man, he just has so much stuff and has combed through so many things and brought it up to the surface for people for years and years and years. And that's one of the things I love about you is man, you've provided such great insight and such understanding and 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 such I don't know, such a great service to the kingdom and other leaders by doing what you do. And you've done it so consistently for so long, man. It's a pleasure to have you uh, on today.
1: Well, it's a, it's a thrill to be here. Uh, you know, learning, I admire runners. I'm not a runner, but <laughs> there's those people, they get out there and they run and they run their half marathons and their full marathons. Right. And I'm just thinking, what what is that all about? You know, but what they say is when you start running, you begin to develop that and you love running. Right. And when it comes to learning, I think you get into a very positive cycle because the more mm-hmm. you learn and the more you curate, the more you know that you don't know and the more you know that what's out there mm-hmm. and it creates this very positive spin cycle or vortex that you get into. And uh, look, I'm just glad that the journey I'm on, I can provide, you know, some curated material to help pastors and church leaders. And yeah, we're kind of all on this together. It's funny too, Todd, you sit there as a writer and you're looking for all these great insights and you're studying and you're trying to be creative. And somebody goes, you know what I love most about you? That top 10 list of posts you read, you put every week. Right. Because it helps me cut through the clutter and just get to what's important. And I'm sitting there going, I'm trying just to be as you know value add and as intelligent as I can be. And it's it's
2: the top ten list you like. So, so this week I was having a conversation with Jim Randall. Jim Randall is the leader over. I don't know what his title is, but he's over Oxana <laughs> Okay. So, you know, Oxano has been like the dudes uh, for vision, especially in the church for years and years and years and and other things as well. But, you know, they do consulting at a very high level. And so one of the things we were talking about was, uh, you know, content creation and curation and and, Mm -hmm. and all the things. And he said, you know what, Um, what's really interesting is we... Probably, if we're honest, about 70% of what we, you know, bring is really a culmination of all the things that were poured into us from, you know, different people in the past. And so, like, you and I, when we read something, we can go, oh... I know exactly where this guy got this from. This is Carl George, yeah, or this is whoever. Oh, or this is whoever, or this is the church spin on it that they got from Michael Porter or <laughs> whatever it is. Um, we're gonna know that, uh, but you know what? The reality is, though, is that that you know extra thirty percent that somebody puts on it is their unique perspective or unique way to apply it or or whatever. So that's what keeps me, I guess, engaged in the leadership space. Because there, there, there is, you know, somewhat nothing new under the sun. Um, you work for Enjoy, which is Maxwell. And I can look back at, you know, the history there and go, oh, wow. You know, somebody said something <laughs> at a conference. So I'm like, that's Maxwell. That's one, other, <laughs> that's one different word, bro. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or, or whatever. But um, how do you... Like, how do you stay um, energized about when it comes to leadership, when you've been doing it for so long and you've read so many books, so many posts, so many things where you're like, I don't know. Like sometimes I go, there's nothing new under this is, you know, there was nothing new here. Um, But how do you stay after it? How do you stay, I don't know, hungry. And I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, I think
1: everything we talk about For anybody listening to this who has to create content for a sermon or a class or a seminary or anything, I'm going to give you what I do to come up with new content because I agree with you. I mean, you've got the Bible and you've got John Maxwell's 21 irrefutable laws of (laughs) (laughs) Leadership. After that, there's like no new new idea. Okay. So here's what I do. So let's say that I go to church. So I go to North Star Church, Kennesaw, Georgia. Mike Lynch is my pastor. And so I'll go there and me and my wife, Sonia, will get in the car afterwards. And I'll say, that was a great message and a great service, wasn't it? And she'll go, yeah, it was great. And then the average person, Todd and Dan, then go, yeah, that was great. So where are we going for lunch? You know, (laughs) just on to the next thing. (laughs) Okay. 100%. <laughs> all genius, all genius and new content creation is in what I call the law of the second and third question. So if you sit there and you go, OK, that was a great service. Why was it a great service? First of all, that's your article or your blog post. Okay, because then you can start breaking down all, oh, the parking team did this, and oh, the host team did this, and oh, children's check-in did this, and this is how they created the environment within their worship center or their sanctuary, and this is what they opened with, and this is where the greeters were stationed, and this is how, you know, they transitioned the Mike's message. And this, this, you know, the law of the second and third question is where genius is. And so, you know, the interesting thing, that genius is there for everybody and can be viewed through their own lens. It's just the average person does not stop long enough to ponder and have awareness to go, okay, why was that a great message? Why was that a bad message? Why was that evangelism strategy so good? Why is their discipleship program so effective? You know, the average person never asks the law of the second and third question. So what I try to do is just ask the second and third question, just document it in such a way that other pastors, other church leaders, other people in the business community and athletics and nonprofit,
2: then they can take those principles and reproduce it in their own organizations. The thing that is interesting about this, Dan, we may not get to our five questions. Today, I'm sorry.
1: Good. <laughs> um, hey, that's the best compliment I've gotten all day. So, okay.
2: so the, the thing that you're what you're identifying here is somebody doesn't move from the interesting to the implications of what this is to the then what are the implications? OK, how do I apply this and how do I implement it? Or how would I help somebody else? So we had our 500th episode not too long ago. And I think the way I answered one of those, one of the questions was that I said something about um, I'm at my best when I'm helping somebody else solve a problem because I am walking through some of the, some of the why stuff or um, like, you know, if we went to dinner, it would just be, Bonkers, the stuff that I would have afterward, it would because you know we would feed off of each other, and there would be something that you, you had said that was a catalyst for conversation or whatever. But I think that uh, Barnabas Piper used to be a co-host on here a long time ago. I've been through a lot of co-hosts. <laughs> um, But, you know, I think Dan's going to stick, though. I think he's going to stick for a while. (laughs) Yeah, let's hope. (laughs) I hope so. But it was um, Barnabas wrote a book about curiosity because that was what was most important as a leader. It can't just be, you know, that was just a good sermon or that was just a good fill in the blank. It's. I'm, I'm curious enough about this to, I don't know, carry it through its end. Like, what are the implications here? How might you apply it? How would you implement it? Like whatever it is. And I think that's a, that's something different. That's something unique. And if you ever start to lose that, I think you're in trouble.
1: Yeah. I, you know, and here's the thing too. And I was lucky. I was raised in leadership under John Maxwell And so John is hyper-focused on personal growth. Right. And, you know, I've I've worked for an organization John founded for over 20 years, worked directly with, you know, John for eight of those years. And, you know, John's got that plaque on his desk that said yesterday ended last night. And that is not just decorative. I mean, he has no rearview mirror on his, you know, car figuratively. I mean, he's taken like a baseball bat and knocked off his mirrors and, you know, and so it's always, you know, been there, done that by Forrest Gump's acute statement. But for leaders, it's a terrible statement. You know, it should be, you know, you're going there doing that. You're accomplishing this. You're going new places. You're reading new books. I remember two years ago, I, I, you know, Todd, you brought it up. I had just been immersed in leadership content for 30 years. And I'm like, okay, I need a new learning project. So I immersed myself in the Premier League European Soccer. <laughs> and I'm like, they are so rabid over there. And, and their team is like, you know, you got 11 people out there, it's 11 Tom Brady's. They are so passionate and the stakes uh-huh. are so high. And, and it means so much that if you're gonna lead successfully there, you, you gotta be a great leader. I mean, you gotta be a superlative leader. So I dived headfirst first into European soccer. Still don't know the rules. Somebody will say a midfielder dominated the game, and I'm like, the score's one to nothing. How did anybody
0: dominate? <laughs> I still don't know how that works, but I, I don't I understand so how offside, offside works either. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, if I was playing defense, I would just stay up here and never move. Everybody would be offsides. But I learned so much about managing failure from studying European soccer, and. It made me a better leader going through that process of studying Liverpool specifically and Jurgen Klopp, their manager, that when it comes to handling failure, my viewpoint of failure and how I lead my teams and how I influence other people as it relates to failure is totally different because I had to know from a leadership perspective what was going
0: on in the Premier League over in Europe. So, following up on that, like you know, I'm prior to going to LifeWay, I was an executive pastor at a church plant for about six yeah. years, and mm-hmm. it's busy. It's hard to you know do things. Like, how would you encourage somebody that's not able to sit under John Maxwell, or you know, like how how would you encourage somebody to inc- increase their leadership to do things like study other folks and how they lead um, to improve themselves? Is there any sort of ideas that you would give somebody like me? Yeah,
1: I, w- I would say, first of all, to that person, and then I'll just use your name as a specific live example, okay? I'd say, Dan, the first thing you got to do is mentally say, everybody's a leader, because if nothing else, you got to practice self-leadership. So everybody's a leader, and everybody can get better as a leader. So I would then begin with, what do you enjoy the most? I'm from the John Maxwell tree, but I can specifically tell you what branch I'm from. And it's the law of intuition that leaders evaluate everything through a leadership bias. Okay. So I would say, okay, you're an executive pastor, you got a staff meeting coming up, and you're gonna get department updates and you're gonna review the Sunday services and you're gonna, you know, do employee reviews and all that. As a leader, what do I need to know and what do I need to become and what do I need to do to lead these people as God would have me lead them and pull everything out of them so that from a discipleship perspective, they can become everything God created them to be. Now, I love books. I love writing them. I love reading them. And I would say, do this. Start with things you enjoy. Listen to leaders that you enjoy listening to. You know, if somebody were to plug me into Morgan Housel's book, you know, on the philosophy of money, I I would become very frustrated trying to become a better leader through that book. Okay, but if you were to put me in another book or in another situation or put me on a podcast of somebody I enjoyed listening to and just said, look, I'm going to I'm going to devote an hour to this. I want to come out with five leadership principles and three of them I can apply. Hmm. See, a lot of times we make leadership uh, discipleship very difficult. And I would start out with this. Let's read a book together. This is from Dan Ryland. Let's read a book together. What'd you read? What'd you learn? How are you going to apply it? If you make leadership development that easy, then what happens is you compound that over 20, 30 years and you will not recognize the person you were when you started out. Todd just did his 500 podcast episode. If I could sit down with Todd, I'd say, Todd, when you started this, tell me what you were hoping God would do through the podcast. What kind of co-host did you want? What kind of guests were you hoping to get? What did you want to learn from them? You know, what surprised you as you got to guest number 50? What adjustments did you make along the way? You know, and as you sit here at 500, what are you hoping for for the next 500? Who would you like to interview that you've never interviewed and why? What do you want to learn from them? What do you want to ask them? So if you just Mm -hmm. go into it, Todd said it earlier, curiosity. But if you just go into it, that I want to learn the components of what made it successful and I want to become successful and I want to be better as a leader. You be patient you compound that over time and you'll be amazed at what God can do in your life.
2: Okay. So um, you were trying to guide us back to our five questions I could see earlier. So um, we can talk about, uh, we can, what, what is a, what's a conflict or failure that has benefited you and you and your leadership? Okay, we won't so go through see- all five because I know yeah. I know I know some of your influences. Obviously, is John and yeah and others, but um, but I do have a couple for you because because of who you are. So go yeah. ahead.
1: Well, I, I'll tell you what I think. And look, everybody listening to this podcast has gone through failure, and you will go through failure again. This is what I learned from European soccer, Jurgen Klopp. Failure is a data point to learn from that's the way you need to view failure. If, if the failure is not fatal, it's just a data point to learn from. So let's go back to 2002. So I'm a young married man. I desperately want to work on a church staff. God's not opening up some doors. You know, we're struggling financially as all young couples do. And it's just a tough time to be a husband and a a young father. And, Another company offered me $5,000 more a year to join them. Hmm. And so I talked to Sonia about it. And Sonia's like, I just don't think God wants you to take this job. I think he wants you to stay where you're at, learn what he wants you to learn, and then he'll open a door. And I really bullied my wife at that time because I was like, honey, you have no idea what I go through on a daily basis. And so what happened is... I ignored my wife's advice and look, everybody listening to this knows God speaks through your wife. She's like the living embodiment of the Holy spirit. Okay. And I knew that and I charged forward anyway. And what happened is I threw my family into financial peril by making that decision. And what happened over the next six to nine months was, um, that was, that was my hip getting broken. That was Jacob's hip getting broken. That was, me, that, that was me being turned from Jacob to Israel, okay? And so the biggest lesson I learned is the value of your wife and what she brings to you in the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that are exposure and some things that are experience. And all married men who grew up in any kind of Christian environment have been told God speaks through your wife, listen to her. But the experience of knowing, okay, I I had to learn that one the hard way. Funny thing about it, I'll go ahead and tell you this, and this could bring the whole John Maxwell thing back full circle. But we were about six months away from losing our house. And Sonia came to me and she said, I think we need to raise our giving from ten percent to fifteen percent. Give the extra five percent to Precept Ministries, K. Arthur in Chattanooga, right? Because that always meant a lot to my wife. And let's see if God can do a miracle. Let's try to outgive God. Hmm. And so, you know, we did it. The first two weeks, it happened. Nothing happened. Just further fear, further anxiety, further anguish and pain. Everything that comes through financial challenges. Two weeks later, uh, a guy named Todd Cullen, who's a good friend of mine, who's now a pastor in Hilton Head, he called me up and he said, Brian, I'm at the Enjoy offices and they're interviewing and they want to talk to you. Now, I've been trying to get on at Enjoy for over five years and could never get on. And that was part of my frustration. Um, but, you know, they said, they're interviewing, they want to talk to you. Two weeks later, August 26, 2002, I got to work for my spiritual hero, John Maxwell. And so I've spent the last 20 plus years of my life basically spending every day telling people what God can do through a human heart when you trust him on a sacrificial level. So the greatest disappointment and pain that I ever felt as a husband and a father, you know, occupationally, you know, financially, all those things, by me not listening to my wife, which got me into trouble, then listening to my wife, ultimately opened the door for really the path I've been on for the last 20 plus years.
0: Curious, one of one of our other five questions that we're not going to get to all five on, but one that I'm I'm curious your answer to is what would you want your leadership legacy to be?
1: Yeah, I've been asked that question before. I think what it boils down for me when when my time comes to an end and i'm 57 years old so all the God men pass away in their early 70s okay now ultimately god determines the number of your days but let's say i got 20 years left okay and so when when that time comes and and i make the transition and they they say the final words if they were to say about me that he loved god loved his family and loved pastors that would be that would be a great way to to sum up my life. I'd be proud of that.
2: That is good. Okay. So I would say this, what are you, what habits or practices are you doing to to focus on your leadership so that that is your legacy?
1: Yeah. So the good news about the loving pastors part is I do that vocationally. So that, that comes rather easily. I do ask them some very interesting questions, which we may get into, but Uh, I'm a reader and I've listened to a number of your podcasts and almost every leader you talk to, one of the common threads is they're all readers. And so am I. And I'll tell you this, funny story. First time I came on the podcast, it was right after I wrote my second book called Timeless. Interesting thing about that year, that year I read 56 books and wrote a book. And then at the end of the year, and Todd, you will love this. At the end of the year, I looked back and I'm going, I don't remember a thing I read about any of those books. (laughs) I know it's embedded on the gray matter of my brain somewhere and God may pull it out, but I have no idea. I mean, it it sounds good. You know, it impresses people at a party that I can say that, but I don't remember anything about those books. Mm -hmm. So what I do now is I've really scaled back on the number of books that I read a year. I try to go really deep on them, but here's the thing. I reread books. And I've heard somebody say this the first time. And I mark up books when I read it. Okay, And I encourage everybody to do that. But the first time you read a book, you mark it. The second time you read a book, it marks you. You know, you're going to read. Let's say you read and I'll go 30 books a year. Ten of them will really stick out. Okay, go back and reread the other ten and it'll go faster because you've already marked it up. But here's another thing I'd say about reading books. My personal opinion, books are the greatest return on investment a leader can make. So let's say, let's take Tom Rainer. Tom Raynor's written a number of books, okay? Great books. Let's say that I contact Dr. Rainer and I say, Dr. Rayner, I want to spend one hour with you and I want to go through these particular topics. And it could be church growth, church health, you know, discipleship, mentoring. I mean, pick your titles. How much would you charge me for that? And Dr. Rayner would charge whatever his hourly consulting fee is. Okay. And I'm going to make up a number. I don't know if this is Dr. Rayner's number or not. $300. I'm just going to make it up. Okay. I can pay him $300 or I can buy one of his books, particularly a used one on Amazon with shipping for less than $10 and have it in a day or two. Here's where, here's where I learned this. So, and and it's funny, if you ask me the question about who's somebody that really influences me, I'm going to give you a name other than Dr. Maxwell. It's just the way the conversation's going. All the the things are falling (laughs) towards him. I'm watching these people pay John large sums of money to spend time with him and learn from him. And the thing John is always talking to them about, unless they've got some specific issue, it's his new book it's because it's what he's thinking about it's what he's writing about It's what he's speaking about that's where his mind is and i'm sitting there and i'm watching that and i'm going dude you could have walked out to the product table and got that for 20 something (laughs) dollars right plus more you know and where this really hit home for me i was at a used bookstore second and charles in Kennesaw, georgia and I go in, and they've got a display there, and it's Roy Williams, the former basketball coach at North Carolina. It's his book, Hard Work. And they're selling them for 50 cents. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, I'm kind of neutral on Roy Williams. I like <laughs> Calipari. I like Krzyzewski. I like Jim Beheim, But the guy's won three national championships. is in the Hall of Fame. I think I can get 50, per- 50 cents of leadership nuggets out of it. <laughs> Right. So I get his book. And I read it. And here's what I learned. I learned how to lead high capacity people like James Worthy and Michael Jordan. I learned how to disciple financial leaders in college basketball. They call that boosters. Okay, Mm -hmm. I learned how to prepare. I learned how to handle failure. I learned how to manage expectations. I learned how to serve under a great leader because he served under Dean Smith. Okay. And so I'm learning all these things. And and when I speak to groups, I actually hold up the book so they can see the price tag. I said, if I called up the University of North Carolina and said, I want to schedule an appointment with Coach Williams, and I want to know those things, financial leaders, high capacity leaders, building teams, managing conflict, handling failure, handling expectations, preparation, leaving a legacy, work-life balance. I want to cover all these things. What would they charge me? Either they would charge me or his foundation would charge me. I guarantee it'd be five digits. I got it all for 53 cents. I make very few definitive statements, but I, but I do say this, if you're a leader and you're not reading books, I, I can't help you. It is easily the best return on investment that a person can make.
0: Some leaders are out here. You and Todd, one of the things I love about you guys is that you pull out things that was like, this book was written 45 years ago. And, you know, the concepts are being talked about now by a current author. Um, but you know, if, if you had to tell somebody to read one or two books for leadership, like where, where would you point them? Who would, who, what authors, (laughs) is there anything that kind of sticks out to you?
2: You're going to have to give them categories if you, if you do
1: that. Well, here's the, here's the thing. I, I've got a list called my desert island books that if I was stuck on a desert island, what books do I want on there with me? You know, obviously, I feel obligated to say the Bible. OK, but let's go on to, you know, number two. Yeah. All right. The greatest leadership book I have ever read and the individual who influences me more than anyone else in leadership is Doctor Crawford Loretz' his book "Leadership as an Identity"? For me, is the finest leadership book I've ever read, and here's here's why I love that book so much. There, and this is this also is one of the great leadership lessons I've ever learned. There's leader development and leadership development, hmm. and they're totally different. Leadership development is developing the skills, talents, and abilities to accomplish a task or assignment given to you by God, okay? This is, this is developing the skills. This is what we've been talking about, reading books, listening to podcasts, going to conferences, getting in a mentoring relationship, being curious, uh, autopsy and success and failure, you know, building teams, all these things, the skills. Leader development is becoming the type of man or woman that God can use to accomplish a skilled task or assignment given to you by him. And they're totally different. So whenever somebody has a, a failure, a moral failure, a financial failure, they're mean to their staff, you know, and they become difficult to work with. I mean, whatever the issue may be, if somebody says, did that surprise you? Well, yeah, it may surprise me. Okay. I mean, it may surprise me. It doesn't shock me. Okay. Because especially with enjoy, I mean, I've I've seen, and I've been with and dealt with a lot of, let's just say high profile people that have struggled with something. Okay. Here's what I know. Here's the common thread on all of them. Their skills, talents, and abilities. They were relentless about working on that, but, and that's where their focus was. And if and the listeners won't be able to see this, but I'm raising my hand up towards the sky on their leadership skills. But what happened is they didn't work equally as hard on their leader development, becoming the type of person that God could use. And what happened is their leadership skills wound up taking them to a place that their leadership, you know, individual, it could not sustain them and you know and, and i'm i'm very sympathetic to those individuals uh, obviously they're targets of the enemy too because of their high profile but if if a fall happens the first question i will always ask is they're obviously gifted they're obviously got a huge platform they're obviously well known did they go through a season in which they neglected their their personal study time did they neglect their quiet times did they did they neglect their rest Did they neglect? Did they uh, remove accountability? Did they do the things that develop them as leaders, as individuals? So, one of the things I tell all— a lot of times, young leaders will ask me, "Hey, what's the one thing I need to know?" Okay, I get that question all the time, and I'm thrilled to answer it. And my thing is, yeah, work on leadership development. Okay but work equally hard on leader development so that when you become the person that that the public thinks that God wants you to be, you've got the character to sustain it. By the way, th- th- that book is all about that. That's why I love that book so
2: much. So what is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever been given? Okay. So I've been given two. I just gave you one. So I'll give you a
1: second one. I was engaged And a gentleman named Manly Beasley Jr. came and did a revival at our church. And I'll never forget it. Most people know his dad, Manly Beasley, but this was Manly Beasley Jr. And we went out to T.J. Applebee's. I was the youth pastor. So me and and my fiance, my pastor and his wife and and Manly Beasley Jr. and his wife, we went to Applebee's. And, you know, I asked him, what do I need to know as as a married man? And he goes, Brian, the number one thing you can do to be successful is always say you're sorry and take the blame for what happened, especially if you did nothing wrong. And I said, well, why would I do that if I did nothing wrong? He goes, because that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took all the blame, all the punishment, all the embarrassment, all the responsibility for something he did not even do but he did it to restore the relationship with his bride. And he goes, bride, there will come countless times in your marriage that there will be a disagreement or an argument, and your job during those times is not to try to win the argument and not to try to prove your point. Your job is to take responsibility and the blame and the responsibility so that your relationship with your bride can be restored. I've been married 32 years now and I would say that was the best piece of premarital advice I ever got.
0: Well, now I need That's to make good. sure my wife doesn't listen to this podcast.
1: <laughs> Just so here's what happened. So you develop this kind of reflex muscle memory that whatever happens, you're like, you know, honey, I, I, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't, I don't even know what I was saying. I'm so sorry. Can you please forgive me? Well, that, you know, they're not, they're not dumb they pick up on it after a while and they're like she'll be going okay specifically what are you sorry for Yeah. okay now I've got to take it to another level and i got to be honest Dan sometimes it gets to the point that I'm like honey I have no idea I'm just really sorry <laughs> And you, you know that I, I'm just clueless and I'm an idiot please forgive me <laughs> sometimes you're just throwing yourself on the sword but I'm yeah. telling you that's reconciling with your bride and taking the responsibility you are never more like Jesus in a marriage than when you do that.
2: I do want to give you a chance to talk about the book before before we go so tell us a little bit about Mighty why did you write it what what point of view what do you want people to walk away with?
1: Yeah definitely uh, and, and I want to you know I, I have a theory as well Todd that every pastor has a book in them if not many. So I'm going to give the number one lesson I got from this book, and then I'm going to talk about the book a little bit. But I want to give your, your listeners something they can really use. It's my fourth book. And my first three books I wrote for me. My first book is I just wanted my name on something. You know, I just wanted to plant my flag down. If you go to Library of Congress, you're reading my name. You know, just, <laughs> I just wanted my name on something. That was my first book, The 10 Indispensable Practices of Two Minute Leaders. Second book, which I was on your podcast for, Timeless, 10 Enduring Practices of Apex Leaders, that was an answer to a question I had. Throughout all of human history, from Bible times to present day, were there common threads that the best of the best had? And the answer was yes, and that's that book. But that book was an answer to the question that I had. It's really a research project that's put in the form of a book. The third book I wrote was a book that I always wanted to write. It's 2021, the year in leadership, and it's my best articles and posts from an entire year. It's it's the book I always wanted to write. So now it's time for my fourth book. And remember, my flag, my question, the book I always wanted to write. All three books were about me. Mighty was the first book I ever wrote that was for other people. And it's even in the title mighty seven skills you need to move from pandemic to progress. Now I love all my books the same They're, you know, they're your kids, you know, the, you love them all the same, but this book was the first one that ever hit number one in church leadership as much as I love it. And the only thing I chalk it up to is that this book was for other people. So when you're creating content, be it a sermon, a Sunday school lesson, small group content, uh, anything of that nature, if you make it about the other person, God will honor that and and make it more effective than anything you've done previously. So here's why I wrote the book. Uh, I was fascinated with David's mighty men. It just it it was it was it was a topic that just intrigued me. And so what I did. I wrote one chapter on them in 2021, the year in leadership. So when I would get asked to speak somewhere, a lot of times I would talk about that. And some people would come up and say, look, you need to make that your next book. So, you know, it's the old Jim Collins, you know, shoot bullets and then fire cannonballs. I was actually shooting some bullets and didn't know it. So now it, it, it resonated. So it was time to bring the cannonball. And as I really dove into that text and looked in 2 Samuel 23, and those people that he talked about, Joseph Bashabeth, and Eleazar and Shaman and that old group, God really showed me that there were seven skills that would take people from the wilderness to ultimately the palace. And when I was writing it, we were, in, we were just coming out of COVID. And so the connection to the pandemic, the progress, and saying, look, we've all been in the wilderness. We've all had everything stripped from us. We, we've all faced uncertainty, but it's kind of like we've been talking about this entire time. The leadership principles are nothing new. And then so I took the seven skills I learned from that passage and I, and I brought it into modern context and the book is written, so let's take one chapter, production. Okay, that's Joseph Bashabeth. He killed 800 people with a spear. Okay, the skill we learn from him is production. So, number one, I break down the text and then I use modern examples. Really, most of them from the year 2022 and people post pandemic that were being highly productive, built a biblical framework, brought in modern day examples. And so it's a helpful book to read and it's a fun book to read. And I had one other thing I wanted to accomplish with this book. Everyone says we want to develop a leadership culture at our church. Absolutely. I do too. The question becomes, how do you do that? So what happens at the end of each chapter is a series of discussion questions. So pastors can do this book with their staff. Their staff can do it with their volunteer leaders. You can do it with uh, you know non Christians as part of your discipleship right. program. But if you're looking to equip and to train and to disciple leaders, that's why I wrote the book. The book is written. Yes, you can read it by yourself. You'll love the book. You'll have fun. You'll be inspired. You'll be equipped. But the book's not written to be read alone. It's it's written to say, okay, everybody, you influence get copies for them walk through mighty together and say look we're all on this post-pandemic journey together let's develop the seven skills we need to become everything god's created
0: us to be at this point in time in human history well brian thank you so much for joining us today um, we're excited about the new book you can find mighty uh, wherever you find books um, but uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your leadership experiences with us and thank you for listening today we hope this has been helpful for you and your leadership and if it has uh, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast to help other leaders find our podcast thanks again